Hi, I'm Anthony. And I'm Josh. And welcome to another episode of 52 in 52. Today we're doing a special awards podcast where Josh and I have come up with some fake awards, some different awards than just the regular Oscars because that stuff just gets a little repetitive and we've been talking about the Oscars for months and months and months now and so we thought we'd do something fresh and come up with our own categories and own nominees and and put that down on a podcast. We are going to share our acting uh, preferences though, but we're going to keep that for the end and short and our, sweet. Put all of our yeah. creative creative stuff at the front. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So we wanted to do something kind of fun and and something new and something different, so um yeah so let's start man what do you uh what do you want to do first i think the first one we have on here which which i think is a pretty interesting category is our biggest missed opportunity for a film that we would have just really loved a much better done version of because we, we found redeeming qualities in some of these films not so much in others but we know that there's potential there for them to be really good and it's it's interesting because i think these all made these this category for different reasons yeah so our six nominees for Missed Opportunity Film are Southpaw, Dope, Testament of Youth, We Are Your Friends, Black Mass, and Fantastic Four. I don't know. I think we've talked a little bit about Southpaw on the podcast before and how much we like Jake Gyllenhaal's performance, and I think we're definitely going to talk about him a little bit more uh, going forward on this podcast today. So I don't know. I don't think we need to delve too deep into that. He he killed it. The movie had so many flaws. Well, we but so it was enjoyable. What would you say? You're, I know we did talk about it on the clear, sure. but just to refresh listeners, why we're relegating it to this category? What what was the one thing that could have been different, given how much of a powerhouse Jake was, that would have um, made it a little better in your eyes? Well, I think we kind of talked about how Fuqua just kind of took shortcuts in some of the stuff that he wanted to to do with the characters. Jake's performance for us, at least, was just so emotional and so strong. And then the stuff with Forrest Whitaker and the surrounding stuff with Jake and his kid, which just seemed kind of short cornery and didn't really live up to hype. I'm not hype, but just it. It just wasn't executed well for him as a filmmaker, I think. Yeah, and I thought that they, they, they did hint at all this stuff about him and his wife and how they had met in the in the child care foster system. It was just a scarring experience for them, and he was so mad when his daughter got taken away from him because he went there. And I think if they could have explored a little bit more about what it was that was so bad about that experience for him, and obviously you'd rather be in a stable two-parent household than foster care, but something they hint at something much worse than your probably your average foster care experience for him that really really shaped him to be who he was and I think doing a little bit more about that would have even formed his character even more and given us a better idea of why the daughter all of a sudden hated him because we just see him visiting his daughter in foster care a lot and all of a sudden she turns against him but we don't really know why because they don't show her there and they don't tell us why he had such a bad time there so I think that part of the movie is even stronger and the performance is so good that I was still emotionally affected at the end when he gets reunited with her after the fight at the end so it was still a really good movie. I just feel like a lot of the stuff leading up to that, those closing moments could have been done in a more complete way. Oh, for sure. For sure. I, I agree 100%. And so the next one we have is Dope. Um, ah, man. I wish I, I almost wish we just talked about this movie right after we saw it. It's been so long, but I think Josh agrees. But for me, I, I watched this movie, and we'll, we'll, the movie might be two hours long. And at the end, maybe... After an hour and 45 minutes, they just, for me, they just completely shifted the tone of the movie and they kind of shifted the message they wanted to send. And it just did not mesh well with the previous hour and 45 minutes that I watched and really took me out of my enjoyment of the world and the and the three kids interacting and, and how all that went. And, I, and it just left me with a bitter taste, I guess. 
Yeah, I agree. I thought a lot of the... Because I really liked all the actors in it, and I thought they were all really good, and I would have liked to have hung out in that world and just seen what it was like for a kid that wants to get out of that get, get out of that part of California or out, out of Compton, I guess, and really do a little bit more with his life and see him struggle with that and have some the forces working against him to a certain extent with whatever kind of gang-related activities he might be just forced upon him in some in some way or another. But I thought it kind of got a little bit too much away from telling that focus of his story and um, had to have that whole blackmail thing that wasn't just a matter of him needing to blackmail someone to get into Harvard, but it was just became a much bigger added-on, tacked-on subplot that I thought didn't kind of mesh so well with everything else going on. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree with all that. Um Testament of Youth. I haven't seen that. What, yeah, so uh, now we got two that we, each one of us hasn't seen for the okay. next two. But for a Testament of Youth, it was a movie, one of the eight or nine movies Alicia Vikander was in last year. And it was a, not exactly a time period I love going back to. I just didn't have anything better to do on a Sunday during the summer and went over to see it. And it's about a based on the memoirs of a woman named Vera Britton, who is a, a British woman who became like a very well-known writer and a pacifist after really World War One didn't do so well. And I mean, it had a really, cool, really cool cast because at her had um, Kit Harrington, Jon Snow playing her love interest, had our our, our new favorite dude Taron Egerton playing her yeah. brother, had uh, McNulty playing her father, uh, Dominic West, and he's just telling her she needs to stay in the kitchen essentially because it's <laughs> 1913 and it's England, and she's like, no, I'm gonna go do some stuff, and at the same time, all the men in her life are going off to war. And instead of just kind of telling a story about how a woman like her forges her own path and she becomes uh, somewhat politically influential and influential with her writings and influential as a pacifist, it just kind of shows her reacting to all the dudes in her life dying. And it makes it so much more – it's a movie that should be about her and about her journey, and instead it turns it into her just crying every time a man in her life dies at war. And it just, it just, it was not a fun experience to watch her do that. It got good reviews, but I guess that's because some people thought that stuff was interesting. I don't know. I didn't really care to see her mourn over the men in her life because this is a woman that they could have. They talk a lot about how they don't have enough of these kind of movies that have female leads, and they just focused on her and her journey and had that stuff be a little more tertiary. Then I thought it would have been really good because I think she's a really great actress, and I like seeing her do different things. And I liked all the other guys in that movie, but. They became too much of it, even if their performances were good. And I just thought they missed an opportunity to tell a kind of story we don't see told that often. We see that kind of period pieces about men probably more often than women. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the next on the list is We Are Your Friends. Uh, I, fortunately for Josh, am the only one of us who saw that. <laughs> um, I don't really know where to start. I just think that the the like EDM and house music, I think that there is probably a movie somewhere in that area just to be told because someone like me, I don't listen to house music or EDM, but I know so many people that do. And there's so many of these festivals and we we go to school in Florida and I know people drive down to Miami for like weekends to go to these, these, I don't even want to say concerts. I, I don't even really know these, these events. And I don't, I don't know anything about it. And this movie was just almost like a parody and it just really was not good. And not that I was expecting it to be good. I just think that I think that someone could probably make an interesting movie 
about the topic and it would be informative and I could probably enjoy it. So this was, but I, I think I know enough about it to say this was kind of about just from the trailer because the trailer tells you a ton about yeah, these yeah. four kids in California that are just doing manual labor trying to make it. And <laughs> Zach Efron's a DJ trying to make it. Like, what in, does that even mean? I mean, I guess that's a problem that a lot of millennials have is that they can't really find. Well, and a they good think they it's just and, they. Well, they think it's just quick fix. You know, I'll make a. I'll make a hit song and then I'll be famous. So it didn't, it, you thought it could have gotten more into the process about how that works than it did? Yeah, definitely. It was just such a weird story that they told. And then, of course, he he's like – he meets a producer or DJ that's like his idol and then he ends up having sex with that guy's girlfriend and, and it's just like – it's just like so ridiculous, and then one of his friends dies, and it's like spoiler alert. And it's like, wait, what? It's just like so random, and they try to make it emotional, and it's not. And then they lead up to this huge scene at the end where he finally releases his like single, and it's one of the most terrible fucking. You weren't the, I mean, songs. like you weren't the only one that said that. Just about every single person oh, I heard yeah. talk about it, like, was in agreement upon the fact that. It was just for the penultimate thing. It was it just so wasn't dumb, good. man. Yeah. It was so dumb. So it's not even something you would recommend seeing as like a, this is a fun, no, bad movie. Like we've no, talked about a lot of those no. early part of this year. It's not even a good, bad movie. It's no. just a, you don't want to subject yourself to that experience. Yeah, no, no, I would not. I would not do that. Okay. And the last one on our list, or we got two more actually. You got Black Mass. Um, yeah. Which I think is a, an interesting one because it was a movie that showed its two best scenes in teaser trailers that released online, which I thought was kind of dumb. I think... If you have Johnny Depp just looking scary, doing cool things, shooting shooting it up as Whitey Bulger, I feel like that should be enough to get people into the theaters. And you don't need to show a couple of these amazing scenes that they showed if those are the only two good ones you have. So I think that kind of lowered the experience for us. Not that seeing those two scenes for the first time in the theater would have made it a good movie because a movie eventually just devolved into Whitey Bulger wanting to kill every person he snitched on. And you just kind of knew, okay, oh, that guy's about to die. And we'd have five minutes leading up to that guy dying. And that thing happened like three times. Yeah, and I think it would have been better if we actually saw a little bit about how he ran his operation because he seemed like such a weird, intense dude, and it was cool seeing how other people reacted to him in situations other than when he was already going to kill them anyway. Yeah, and it was just so repetitive. There was no depth outside of Whitey gets mad at dude, Whitey kills dude, and then someone else in the operation steps up, and it's like I don't care. That's I, I don't want to watch that movie about Whitey Bulger. I want to watch a movie about. They just barely reference how he just all of a sudden came to power. And it's like, I want to see his rise to power. I want to see it. I don't want to hear about it. And, I mean, I think we've agreed. Johnny Depp's kind of been falling off for us. Uh, in the, I was what, fine with him there. Well, I mean, no, no, no. He, he was fine. I'm saying the last, like, what, 10, 15 years? He hasn't really made that many good movies. Yeah. Um, and, and the cast was good but also very weird. Well, it was bad. The worst stunt casting ever with Benedict Cumberbatch oh, trying to do a yeah. Boston accent. You could have th- thought, found just about anyone to do that. Why not just throw some money at Matt Damon and let him be the Boston politician? Yeah. Or, or, or just any lesser actor that wouldn't sound so bad trying to cover up a British accent. Joel Edgerton was really good. If, if In a lesser year, I would have had no problem if he was a Best Supporting Actor uh, Oscar nominee. Needed more Jesse Plemons, people. too. Yeah, he was he was really good. And uh, Julian Nicholson, who played Joel Edgerton's wife, she was really good in limited time. You might know her from Boardwalk Empire. Um, Dakota Johnson, Kevin Bacon, yeah, Corey Stoll. Dakota Johnson was pretty good. Corey Stoll didn't have a ton, but he's good as always. And yeah, so really interesting cast. Just, they told the story in a weird way. Yeah, and I just think I think a lot of people liked the movie. I just think there was for me. I walked out of it, and I just thought there was like no depth to it, and it was just so surface level Whitey Bulger, and that's like almost like a made for TV kind of thing, and that's not the movie that I want to watch personally. Um, so yeah. 
Uh, last on the list, Fantastic Four. I just added that right before we did the uh, right before we started yeah. this podcast. Um, we didn't. We, we had we hadn't started doing the podcast at the. Actually, we we saw all of these before we started doing the podcast. We hadn't talked about any of them before. But my one big point about this was I think a lot of people were, didn't love the first set of Fantastic Four movies, even though they were obviously better than this one. But a lot of people got really tried to make some big proclamations about how they just, these characters just aren't meant aren't meant to have movies made about them, and we both disagree on that. And that's yeah. why it's in this category. It's it, it was just a complete failure of an operation. But I don't think that means that if you have these actors playing these roles, there's not a way to make it work. Yeah, I think it was cast really well actually, and I really like the way that how they cast Kate and and uh, Michael B. Jordan as siblings, and I, obviously we really like Miles Teller. Um, I don't know the name of the other two guys, but Jamie Bell. Uh, Jamie and, Bell, yeah. yeah. Um, they were yeah. both really. They're both. They were both solid. It's just the the story. This specific Fantastic Four story they told was just such garbage. And it was literally only origin story. Like some people. Yeah. Could, some some people could, and they got shot in space for like five seconds essentially. Yeah, it was just so ridiculous how the way that it worked out and the way that they used the the villain. And some people complain a lot about how we don't need more origin stories and. Um, we just talked about that on our Deadpool podcast, and that origin stories can be okay if you tell them, tell them, tell them for the first time, and we haven't seen it before, and it, uh, and then you add some other good stuff in there. But it was just like two hours of origin story and yeah. ten minutes of action. Yeah, and you're kind of in a bind too because if you just kind of tell the story, and you're like, oh, I don't know anything about these characters. Where did they come from? Blah blah blah. People are going to give the opposite criticism. I, I think and that's just if, how it works. And even if you want to tell the origin story about how they got to be there, it wasn't. Uh, they didn't really do a good job of dealing with the consequences of these people essentially going from normal human beings to then having powers. They really skipped over. Um, um, Jamie, uh, is it the thing? Is shoot? Is it the thing? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. the thing, right? Yeah. Is that what he's called? yeah, yeah. So they skipped over the thing, not being a person anymore, and he was just totally cool with that. And yeah, they touched on it a little bit with Johnny Storm, not so much with the other two, and how they really felt about the whole yeah, situation. Yeah, because Miles is just absent then for like yeah, he's 30 gone. Minutes. He's just gone around the, around the world doing stuff. Yeah, and yeah, you at least hit more of the character beats that go into that origin if you're gonna really spend as much time on it as you do and i will say when i watched it i didn't think it was as bad as critics said and and what my friends had told me but i i mean obviously i didn't think it was a good movie yeah it was i don't but, I, I, I if you asked me to grade it from one to 100 i wouldn't put it like, like a nine like the tomato meter yeah. thing, but I, I definitely wouldn't i'd definitely be below 50 though you know yeah no for sure um so what's your winner in this category josh um my my winner for this category uh Probably dope because I think that 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 probably had almost the highest ceiling out of all of this, or maybe Southpaw too. Oh, I think dope is the winner think, for I me. Think, yeah, I think Southpaw. Like, I guess there's only a, there's a certain ceiling you can have to most to most boxing movies. I'd say, um, especially ones I don't know. Creed, I don't know, because we both had Creed really high on our top ten list for the year. So maybe, but maybe um, Southpaw is just really traditional, whereas Creed has a little bit more going for it with the mythology. And I don't know, there's anything. I'm not sure if there's anything you could have done to Southpaw to make me rate it as high as Creed, as much as I like what Jake was doing. But Dope, I feel like a a, a different, slightly re, slightly rewritten version of that movie. I think could have been in my top ten movies of the year. Yeah, uh, I I agree. Uh, so the next category we're gonna do is best film under fifty percent on the tomato meter. Um, yeah, so we have some decent <laughs> movies on this list. I'll run through them. Uh, Barely Lethal, which we've talked about a couple times on the podcast. The Entourage movie. Uh, Burnt, which is the Bradley Cooper chef movie that came out uh, this fall, I believe. Um, Project Almanac, which I've I've seen 
Josh hasn't. Um, Hot Tub Time Machine 2 and uh, San Andreas. Um, what are you thinking on this one, Josh? For me, it's Entourage. Um, I know a lot of people had the same basic criticisms they had about the TV show and that uh, there's not enough conflict, there's not enough of um, these, everything works out in the end, uh, doesn't treat women characters well, which I don't disagree with because they really... <laughs> I mean, if you're going to make an Entourage movie, why not, why not uh, bring back... Um, um, Oh God, I'm just proving my point right here. I'm, I'm drawing a blank on the publicist's name. Um, I know it's Debbie uh, Mazzeo is the actress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Shauna, Shauna, Shauna. Why not bring back Shauna more? She's a great character, and just give her a bigger part because especially is, for such a, a big movie release, right? Yeah, and it's and it's that, and obviously a lot of the stuff going on throughout this movie is the kind of thing you might need a publicist for. So it would have been easy to work her in there, but I still really en- I enjoyed the rest of it as it was anyway. Yeah, and, I think a lot of it was almost nostalgia though, just because like. I mean, I agree. But they I don't... laughed enough. Yeah, a lot oh, of yeah, it is yeah. nostalgia. I mean, but if I hadn't laughed, I wouldn't put yeah, it in Yeah, they don't, they definitely, I still laugh throughout. They definitely don't treat women characters well at all. And the series has kind of aged poorly in that way. But well, growing up, I, I love it. I have all the DVDs and less about the women, but just about the four guys interacting. And it's just so awesome to good. watch. And I, they had really good I chemistry. Actually, I mean, I actually somewhat disagree that they – with. That and I don't think the movie used E right. That was my one big problem. Was that oh the, uh, yeah, it was sure. just the, his main storyline. He's ha- he's having too much sex. Yeah, like sure, that's a fu- that, that that thing could have been relegated to a five minute subplot and a couple of jokes. Yeah. Instead, that becomes his major arc throughout the movie, which yeah. is just really dumb. Whereas such a big part of the series was about him uh, actually finding his way in the business. There's one yeah. thing to be a movie star like with natural charisma like Vinny Chase, but to just be some dude that doesn't even have a college degree trying to make his way, like yeah. that was his big thing throughout the series. And now they're about to hit like a level they'd never have. And he's obviously having some career success. So I would have liked to have seen a little more about his business work. Um, but everything else I, I, I just thoroughly enjoyed throughout, but, um, and I, I, it sounds like you both did, but, um, did, did you have a personal favorite out of all these? Uh, Project Almanac, yes. I think. Yeah, I'm. I'll cape for that movie over and over. I'm still <laughs> trying to get Josh to watch it. He hasn't yet, but I got it on my um to watch list. On it's Amazon uh, again, it's a, like a teen high school teen sci-fi movie about time travel, and you think it's dumb, but it's really not. So watch <laughs> it. Um, all right, next category: uh, best performance in an otherwise not good movie. Uh, so for People nominated are Jake Gyllenhaal in Southpaw, which we've already talked about, Kristen Stewart in Clouds of Sils Maria, Paul Dano in Love and Mercy, and Adam Scott, Hot Top Time Machine 2. We should just rename this category the Jake Gyllenhaal Award for Best Performance in the yep. Otherwise Not Good Movie. Yeah. Because I think we both agree he would win. Uh, you still haven't seen Clouds of Sils Maria. Kristen not Stewart's yet, really good I, in it. I do love her. So Yeah, and she's like really good in Still Alice, too, which is something I technically saw in 2015, but that was more of a one that was the previous award season and she's just gotten really good at playing characters and fully inhabiting them and seeming like another person without having to look like a different person she looks like herself and you kind of buy her in these different situations being the daughter that's having to come to terms with what her mom's going through and still alice or just being the assistant to a movie star that's kind of going through some stuff like she is in cloud smith sales maria um, but I mean, I think my personal favorite in this would be Adam Scott for Hot Tub Time Machine 2, just cause that movie was so bad yet. I was just enjoying, I laughed every time I saw him in the movie and he was just awesome in it. Um, but, uh, Paul Dan is another good one too. Cause I don't think either of us loved Love and Mercy. Yeah. I liked it. I liked it more than you. And then yeah. I didn't like it the second time, okay. but I can still respect what he was doing in it. Yeah. Like, I think we, we haven't talked about Love and Mercy very much on this podcast yet, but 
I think we both really liked his storyline way better than um, John Cusack's, John Cusack's storyline. I couldn't even remember his name. <laughs> I really, I really hated everything that happened with John Cusack in that movie. Paul Dano was really good. I actually, I really like Paul Dano. I've uh, he's been in like so many random roles, but he's, he's in he's, so many good movies. He's though. a really good actor, and I'm glad he kind of got a little bit of the spotlight here. But like you said, this is Jake Gyllenhaal's category, and I think he wins for <laughs> for both of us. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So next one, pretty good, pretty good category. It's best scene of the year. Um, you want to run through these? Yeah, because you, you didn't have any add to these. I just did that, and I think, really? we, I think we agree on these. I, I went through. Well, here's the thing. I went through my movie list, and yeah. I just I didn't know what to add. I didn't. Okay, I so really didn't know. I think, so I think Anthony's saying I did a very good job with this. <laughs> so um, here's here's our list of best scenes: the second fight scene in Creed, which is an, a tracking shot uh, over that spans about a, oh, just a round and a half, but it's amazing. Uh, the border scene in Sicario, where they're kind of waiting at the border and they're kind of suspicious of other cars and uh, you know, it's almost more intense before the shooting starts, which is a testament to how that scene is shot. The escape in room where uh, Jack is riding on the truck, and I started yelling out in the theater, "Just get down, get down!" And I knew he was going to make it, and yet I was still totally captured, in, in, totally engaged, and worried for him. Uh, the victim interviews and spotlights. So that's technically two scenes, but I think they're kind of one and the same. At this, well, actually, I think they, I think they actually cut back and forth. So they, I think they cut. Yeah, too. so that is kind of part of the same sequence. Um, Steve Carell meeting with the uh, uh, collateralized is it collateralized debt swap or uh, yeah, what's yeah. the name of it? CODs. Yeah, I, yeah. CODs. Yeah. I don't remember exactly the acronym I should but Steve Carell meeting with the COD guy in the big short in the Las Vegas restaurant which is just an amazing scene where he's kind of getting a whole other realization of how messed up the economy was and sticking with Love and Mercy, the Good Vibration studio session, because I thought that was super cool, because that's a song a lot of us are fans of, and they really showed a lot in a lot of detail just what went into making it sound the way it did. So, do you have a preference from all these? Man, I don't know. I, I'm I'm struggling with how to but judge I this also, category. I could have also added the Bear Attack and the Revenant, because that's a yeah. pretty memorable one. But there's like a lot of different. I almost thought the, I don't know. That, that was it was it was rather simple aside from having to create the CGI bear. It was yeah. just intense. I don't know if it has the quite the degree of difficulty that some of these others did. Yeah, I, I'm just struggling with how to judge this category. Honestly, the like the tension in in both the border scene in Sicario and the escape in room were like so palpable in the theater. The fighting Creed was and it was so awesome because we were watching this movie like three weeks early and we had two of our friends there and the whole theater was kind of just captivated by that. Um, I really don't know. Actually, you know what? I really did like that good vibration scene in Love and Mercy. Um, but ah, man, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. What what uh, what are you thinking? I don't really want to choose one either. They're also <laughs> good. Uh, I'd probably say, I'd probably say the fight in Creed. I, I heard they spent two whole days on that. That's, yeah, uh, it's that's awesome. really hard to do. To, to I mean, it's one thing to actually make, to make something look like it was all in one take, like the movie Birdman or something. But to actually execute something like that, all the footwork and choreography that goes into that, and uh, to really just keep us on the edge of our seats, I, I feel like I got to say Creed. But I can't just I can't get mad at anyone that picks any of these other ones. Yeah, no, no, no that was great. I I mean, I really liked the victim interviews too. Like it was so emotional watching that in the theater and watching Rachel McAdams and watching Mark Ruffalo and the two, I don't even know their names, but those two people might've had the two best scenes in the movie with their, it was good by them interviews. Yeah. It was good on them for not, uh, cast for, for doing that, for casting unknowns for those two roles and good on those guys for knocking out of the park. I hope they get to do other stuff and 
in movies going forward. But I don't think those. I, I like I've seen other people say it too. This isn't an original thought on my part, but I don't think those movie those scenes have the same impact if it's a if those are actors that we are well very familiar with. Sure, yeah, absolutely, absolutely, I agree. I guess if I have to pick, I'll just say Creed because I love that movie. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, next category: best performance from someone you hadn't previously known. So this was a pretty awesome category, actually, because there's so many breakout performances in 2015 by mm-hmm. by people that we had never heard of. And, I mean, we're pretty plugged in for the most part. So uh, I don't know. So Alicia Vikander, uh, she's in Ex Machina, Testament of Youth, Burnt. Uh, Man from Uncle. Man from Uncle. What Danish else? Girl. Danish I Girl. I didn't see the Man from Uncle, but I saw yeah. all of those other ones, I guess. And, uh so she had a massive year. The first time I, the first one of those to come out to get released was Ex Machina, though. Yeah, and a lot of people, some people saw her a few years ago, and I guess Marie Antoinette, I think uh, she did one of those kind of British movies. Yeah, <laughs> this is this was obviously the first year, the year where yeah. most people really knew who she was. Um, then we have Taron Egerton from The Kingsman, and I guess also Testament of You. Legend. And I, okay, I didn't see Legend. Yeah, uh, but yeah, Kingsman was the first time we saw him. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I loved him in that. And and we got to see him in Eddie the in Eddie the Eagle, the new uh yeah. ski jumping movie that comes out that that, that got released that got released on uh, February twenty sixth, but we got to see an early screening of it. Yeah. So we I really think I'm gonna do a uh I think I'm gonna do a review of that on the blog. Okay, I've been yeah. working on that, so cool. Um Rebecca Ferguson, she was in Mission Impossible. Mm-hmm. I don't think she was in anything else this year though. Not nothing sure, that we saw. Nothing that we saw. Um, and then we have tag team John Boyega, John Boyega, Daisy Ridley for Star Wars, which I think very well deserved uh, nomination from us. And uh, basically the whole cast is straight out of Compton. Because we couldn't name a single person in that movie besides Paul Giamatti. Yeah. And, and man, I don't even know where to begin because everyone was really – everyone in this category is really, really good. What are you? Uh, this one's so tough too. Josh leaned back um, and exhaled. He doesn't know where to go. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm kind of leaning towards the the first two or the cast is straight out of Compton because I really liked uh, John Boyega, Daisy Ridley, and Rebecca Ferguson. But and I guess we're kind of cheating by kind of I guess we could say to break, call this almost breakout performer as opposed to a specific performance because I'm leaning towards because um, I what Taron Egerton did in uh, Testament of Youth was just so different from what he did in Kingsman and so different from what he did in Eddie the Eagle, which is obviously not from the same year. That I I really have a lot of respect for him. I'd. Pr- I'd probably say I'd probably just say Alicia Vikander just because the quality of work was so high across the board. But it's so hard to do what they did in Shred Out of Compton too, and it'd probably be a little easier to sell that to someone like me that's just not a big music guy. But for someone like you who is, you're gonna you're already really familiar with these guys, and the odds of all three of the main performances there being something that you are satisfied with are pretty slim. And I think you are more than satisfied. Yeah, with Yeah, absolutely. I think they're my pick, Jason Mitchell and the gang for Straight Out of Compton for for mm-hmm. for that for this category. Um, yeah, like you said, really, really happy with, with how that turned out and very disappointed that they didn't get any recognition from the actual Oscars this year. The White Riders did, though. So. Yeah. <laughs> uh, no surprise there, Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, next category. Biggest surprise performance, a.k.a. didn't know this person had it in them. Uh, Sylvester Stallone for Creed. He's getting props and... Deservedly so. Unfortunately, Michael B. Jordan, because he's black, not getting props. But um, <laughs> you know, uh, Amy Schumer for Trainwreck, which uh, it was pretty surprising, I guess, considering she's never been in a feature film before. And then I wrote. We didn't really have anyone else down. 
I wrote Adam Driver for Kylo Ren, but I don't really know if it counts just because we both love him and we both really like him in Girls and everything else we've seen him in. Yeah, I guess we'd seen him in uh, we'd seen him in Girls. We'd seen him in uh, This Is When I Leave You, and he did a couple of the Noah Baumbach movies. He did While We're Young yeah. and uh, Francis Ha. Uh huh. And I guess those are slightly different performances from um, from This Is When I Leave You, which and they're both obviously way different from Girls. But I think that's a fair name to throw in here, just because. Even though we liked his work, it's still a whole different thing from everything he had been doing to say, you're going to be the villain in a Star Wars movie. Yeah. And he totally killed it. So I think he's good to put in here. If you had to give me one from this category to put, even though I'm going to argue later in this podcast that Sylvester Stallone is, should win the Oscar for Best Supporting <laughs> Actor, I'd go with Amy Schumer. Just because I knew, I knew her from her stand-up a little bit. I hadn't really seen her in anything. I'd watched her show a few times. I don't really like her show. I like her stand-up. The show doesn't really do it for me, even if I like a lot of the issues she points out. I just the sketches don't totally work for me, even though I think she does a de- good job of acting in them. It's just the sketches as a whole aren't my thing. So I just didn't have a lot of exposure to her and what she could do. And she really acts her ass off in Trainwreck for someone that's really just a comedian. Or, yeah, I mean, she's obviously more than a comedian, but for someone that we didn't know as any more than that before the movie, uh, even if I, we I thought the movie had some problems, she was not one of them because she's plays like the the scene at her dad's funeral really really well um and i totally bought that but obviously she does the raunchy stuff well too and i thought just to have such a complete performance in a your first movie like that is really something impressive you know just thinking about this now i wonder if john cena should go in here too because he was awesome in this. Yeah, and what other movies had he been in before this year? He had Sisters and Trainwreck this year. Like, yeah. I couldn't, like, what other movies has he done? I'm sure he's done some action stuff. I remember The Marine. That yeah, was a thing. Yeah, he did The Marine. I don't, I don't and, know what else um, he's done. If I'm he had not, done anything that would have even led you to believe, maybe he could be so funny. I don't think he did anything like this that would have instructed us on, on his comedic value. But I think it was similar to Dave Bautista in Guardians, right? It's kind of a similar similar role for the the big jacked guy to be playing funny but he was really good but i think i don't disagree with you i don't think you can go wrong in this category stallone was really good i i i mean i just really didn't think he had it in him but schumer made a really a really solid movie for the most part um so i don't know i'll probably go with stallone though okay so next category, one of our favorites, is um, biggest gap between Josh and I and the critics. Uh, so we have Bridge of Spies, of course, if you've ever listened to a podcast with us, uh, The Martian, and I wrote down Burnt also. So uh, what are you thinking here? Yeah, these are obviously ones not like the others, and that Burnt we like more than the critics. The other two, uh, the critics like more than us. And I, my winner for this category actually might surprise you. I'd say The Martian because – if you go back and actually read some of the reviews of Bridge of Spies, it's not, there are some people that are very effusive of it. One person said it was like Spielberg's best in 20 years, which was ridiculous. Yeah. But for the most part, I think the reason that movie is at like, I think it's at 93% on Rotten Tomatoes at this point, it's because everyone was so lukewarm towards it. And they were just like, yeah, you know, this is solid film. Because it's a thumbs up, thumbs down system. It's not a. True. No, that, that's why it's like system. that. Yeah. yeah, and that's why it ends up like that. It's at, okay. It's at ninety one percent now. I think it might have even been at ninety three around the time it got released. Mm-hmm. And it's all these. Most of the critics are like, "This is fine. It's not Spielberg at his best, but it's really solid, dependable stuff." And yes, we disagree with that, but it's people being somewhat lukewarm on it. Whereas with The Martian, everyone was just over the moon and absolutely loved it. And I like The Martian more than I like Bridge of Spies, but I just felt like I can recognize the good parts of this movie, but I just don't see it as something that's winning Oscars and obviously won Oscars, but Oscars aren't voted on by the critics. So if we're going by just what the critics said, I, I'd, I'd say the Martian being a bigger disparity because 
it, we were just like, okay, this is fine. And they were just like, give it all the awards. Yeah. I really loathed a lot of The Martian. Like, oh, okay. and that was our first podcast that we mm-hmm. did too. And I was fired up to talk about Matt Damon on that. And you don't like Matt Damon. Like, I was fine with him. I'm, I'm not but, even that mad about. I mean, I can separate him, but he was, he just was like. I thought he was good. I just, I just thought all the stuff on NASA was bad. It was terrible. It was so terrible. And I still will never understand how they just don't give any credit to Charles Gambino for <laughs> solving the whole fucking problem and nobody cares. He says, hey, we're going to do this. And then they do it. And then he doesn't, you don't see him for the rest of the movie. And then I give him a head nod at the end. And it's just ridiculous. And uh, a lot of the jokes just didn't land for me, and I don't think a lot of them landed for Josh either. Yeah, the, the comedy didn't work. Uh, the stuff I liked was just him problem-solving stuff. Yeah, which is was cool. fine, but that's, that was a good it chunk doesn't of make it, a good movie, stuff was bad. Though. No, it doesn't make a good movie, but it just, it's, that's why, because I enjoyed that so thoroughly, more so than anything in Bridge of Spies, is why I would put that ahead of it. Um, but I just thought it was weird that, I, 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 don't, I don't get why the critics like Bridge of Spies so much, but... Yeah. Um, they, but they, or I don't get, well, no, I get why they might be lukewarm towards it. I can see how you might just take it at face value as whatever. I don't get how you can be so over the moon and just be, I've even heard a few people say they really thought all the stuff on NASA worked. I, I just don't get it. I don't, yeah. it was, everyone was so over the top about the Martian more so than Bridge of Spies. And that's why I would make it win this category. Uh, quickly on Burn, I don't even understand why people didn't like it. I can get why it might not hit the heights of certain like Oscar type movies, but I don't yeah. understand why it was like a, like, 30-something percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, I just really I, enjoyed it, and it was fine watching Bradley Cooper do his stuff, and we liked some of the supporting performances. I think we talked uh, about that on... We did a podcast on Burt, and I think we just talked about how we recognized the problems that the movie had, but it didn't really take us away from the A, performance, and B, just fine story. It, was, like, it really was not offensive in the way that Bridge of Spies and The Martian were sort of offensive to me. The, the scenes with Matthew Reese, who like well, yes, we love, but like regardless of who that act, as long as it's a good actor, even if yeah. someone's not Matthew Reese, like they were pretty good. As the stuff are, yeah. they're saying like yeah, we we might be rivals, but it's better for us if you uh, Adam Jones are good, like in explaining that yes, we might hate each other and stuff, but you do push us to be better. And him coming to that realization and seeing all that and realizing that you don't need to just uh, constantly be at war with everyone, I thought was pretty well done. Yeah, no, I would agree. I think I would also go with The Martian here. As much as I hate Bridge of yeah. Spies. Um, <laughs> Just had to get that in. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's terrible. Don't, uh, don't watch Bridge of Spies. Um, best performance depicting a terrible person. That uh, was weird. We only have three here. I just couldn't find that many. Yeah, well, we kind of disagreed on... We named people that were terrible. We're like, ah, we like them, though. We don't want <laughs> them in the category. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so we have the, the COD manager again from Big Short, um, Old Nick in Room, and Idris Elba in Beasts of No Nation, which I still haven't seen, so Josh is going to talk on that. But I think the the guy in the Big Short, man, like I watched that scene because I downloaded that movie for, for Danny, mm-hmm. for my roommate, and it's just – it's hilarious. Cause he's, it's totally, just, he's totally comfortable in his skin, and he's totally aware of how terrible he is. It's so absurd, and it's like realism, and that's the thing that – Steve Carell plays that plays the opposite side perfectly because he's reacting with such fervor and and discontent and does doesn't know how to respond to this guy and just keeps asking questions just to make sure that he's hearing how ridiculous uh, everything's happening everything that's happening is and it's just a great scene. 
Yeah, I, I I agree. I'd probably I probably would go with Idris though because I mean he has to keep that up for an entire movie almost. And at one point he does give you a sympathetic look at him, the the character, and probably his best scene of the movie. But because he's this African warlord, and at one point he's put in a position where he's not in power, and he plays that really well. But it's not enough to make me kind of like wait, do I like him like I did with some of the other p- people we threw out there before the podcast? Uh, he's just he's terrible and old Nick and Room like that's not much of a performance that actor is actually pretty good because he's like I mentioned when we did the Room podcast he's on Rectify and yeah it's a terrible performance a terrible person he does a pretty good performance but I don't think you see him enough to make him win I was just having trouble thinking of people that were just totally irredeemable that we saw in the movies and uh, I'd go with Idris and I guess you go with the big short dude yeah uh, okay we got three more and then we're gonna just do a little short on the actual Oscars. Um, so we have a category for best performance by a child actor. Um, we have the... I got her name. Jacob uh, Tremblay in Room. Uh, Abraham Ada from Beasts of No Nation. Uh, Una Lawrence from Southpaw. And then... You want to try and say that name? Uh, I, I, I didn't... I, you haven't typed it. Oh, Ashley Offer to Hyde in Infinitely Polar Bear. Yeah, so she's the younger daughter in Infinitely Polar Bear when the kids are kind of trying to have to... In that movie where the kids are taking care of Mark Ruffalo, their father who has bipolar disorder. She's really good. I liked her better than the older girl. Um, yeah, and, uh, obviously Jacob Tremblay is the one out of all these who really got awards attention, but... Um, I don't know. Abraham Otto was really good in Beast of No Nation. Like for, I I pro I'd probably go with him. I hate to again go with someone that you haven't seen a performance of, but um, he really does have to carry that movie. He is the lead, not Idris. That's why Idris is nominated in these supporting categories. And I really have a I really hold younger actors to a high standard or not a high standard, but I have a low bar for them because I just don't really expect them to be that good most of the time. And this kid really, I, I totally bought him throughout, and I thought he was really good. And even in some of his quiet scenes, that just the way he was able to convey any kind of emotion or thought, um, he's really promising. I don't, I mean, I don't know how much other opportunities he'll get. I'm, I'll be curious to see if he can kind of get some more work going forward. Yeah, I, I guess I'll definitely have to watch that um, over spring break. I didn't or something. totally love the movie, but I think it's worth it for Idris and. Um, Abraham Ada, and yeah. just some of the tracking shots you get from Carrie Joe Fukunaga, a la what happened in uh, episode True. four of season yeah. one of True Detective. Yeah, um, I'll probably just go with Tremblay here just because mm-hmm. it's comfortable, and he was really, really good in a really, really good movie. He could have been a Best Supporting or a best Lead Actor nomination. They tried yeah. to campaign him as supporting, which is dumb. He was yeah. in the whole movie. I think and, he could have been nominated for either category, honestly, like, yeah, legitimately. Yeah, the Lead Actor is unusually weak this year, and I wish they had tried to get him a nomination there. That would have been cool. Yeah. Um, okay, my favorite category of the day is uh, Best Robotic Performance. Mm-hmm. So we have BB-8 in Star Wars. We have the robot in Gem and the Holograms. We have Ultron in Avengers, Age of Ultron. Uh, Kyoko in Ex Machina. Ava in Ex Machina. And the winner by <laughs> unanimous consent, uh, Tom Hanks in Bridge of Spies. Yeah, I, I can't <laughs> argue with you. He, he, I mean, that was one of the big problems with the film is that he was just totally predictable and... Um, the the one part of the, that movie where I thought maybe this has a chance to be a little something more was the scene where he gets accosted by the German people right on the street. And I thought, oh, maybe the, the rest of this movie might be a little unpredictable and he's actually going to get in some trouble. And I get that they're having to follow a, 
um, a true story. So it can only go so far at that, but they don't know for a fact that that happened. Probably that's probably something they threw in there and they could have done some more stuff like that and made Tom Hanks have to play that fear and confusion a little more. And maybe it wouldn't have been so robotic, but it was just so predictable the rest of the movie. Yeah. And, and, and no, no disrespect to the other <laughs> nominees in this category because, uh, that, I mean, they're all solid for robots. <laughs> yeah. I think, uh, I mean, I love Ultron. They're all, they're all very different yeah. kinds. Yeah, yeah. James and, Vader is really good as Ultron. Yeah, and I mean BB-8. I don't really know what else to say about. It's, it's pretty self-explanatory. Yeah, I, mean, it was, I mean, I think it was re- they designed him really well. Yeah, I mean, he's able to show a little bit. I feel like you're able to. You you can speak to this more. How does that compare to R two D two in the earlier films? Uh, you watched it pretty films, similarly. I, okay, I, I, I think know. I heard some people really say BB-8 was actually better, and I can't really speak knowledgeably on that. Uh, I, I, I don't really know how to judge okay. that, to gotcha. be honest. Um, <laughs> the Gem and the Holograms robot didn't talk. Kyoko <laughs> didn't talk either. But she I will danced. say, yes, we didn't talk about that in best scene. That's what I should have wrote down. Oh. The, the, I, I would pick that. We need, to, we need to redo the podcast now. I would pick that. Kyoko and Oscar Isaac dancing in Ex Machina. If you haven't seen the movie, you can just go watch it. I don't on care. Anyway. Go watch it on YouTube. It's like two minutes long. It's fucking amazing. Uh, How did I forget go that? Go watch it. I, I, I swear I wrote that down. I swear I wrote that down. Um, and a special shout out to uh, to our producer, Rachel. She's not here with us today, but she wanted me to uh, fill in a category for her. Um, her category is Best Oscar. Isaac is the winner uh, there. So <laughs> we're going to keep going now. Last category that we made up, um, best performance by a kid disappointed in their parents. And surprisingly, we could have had like 10 nominees here. Uh, There's a theme we, in the movies. This yeah, year, so. we, we found we found uh, cool ways to, to fill in this category. And so I guess we'll start uh, Adonis in Creed, uh, Michael B. Jordan, um, Steve Jobs, the little girl, uh, every time uh, in the three different segments. Jack uh, <laughs> for his dad in Room, um, Bobby Cannavale and Danny Collins, uh, both girls in uh, Infinitely Polar Bear, which we just talked about a little bit, uh, Kylo Ren, Star Wars, and uh, Una Lawrence, Layla, in Southpaw. I see you laughing a, a couple times yeah, well, over there. It's interesting. Well, yeah, because that's just terrible, the Room one. I mean, I, kind of, I did put that in there, but... <laughs> um, he, he, the kid doesn't know what's going on, so it's not actually performance in zone. Disappointed in his parents, he gets mad at Ma a couple times. Um, but yeah, uh, I think it's interesting because a couple of these, are, like with Creed and uh, well, with, with Creed's the main one, I guess, is that uh, he never actually knew his dad. So I think it's more. I, I'd almost say it's more general parent. I don't know. I mean, he is mad at him, but it's not like a ongoing. That's what drives thing him, though. Yeah, it drives him, but it's not like something that 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 relationship's not depicted on screen. So sure, I, I that was something you probably you you felt it a little more the first time you saw the movie than I did, and um, yeah, that wasn't the part that wasn't like the part of the movie that did it the most for me. My my pick in this, uh, um, I don't know. I think they did a g- good job with the daughters and Steve Jobs. Even that that movie had a lot of problems, I think that they did a pretty good job casting each of them and. Um, well, actually, I'd say in the um, in the second act of Steve Jobs, he's not really disappointed in him. Uh, so they're not having to go through that. Yeah, he kind of brought her along, he right? They were along. friends. He seemed fine. He was trying to get away from her mom, but he was pretty got along pretty well with her in that section. Obviously, in the last one, there were some problems. Um, then probably there could have they would have been. I mean, I like how they did it in Star Wars, but. Um, it was awesome, man. Yeah, so it was good. If if he had some, if they somehow had more scenes with them, that would have been cool. But you totally got where the, where where everything was coming from there, so that was cool. 
Um, I don't think, like I said earlier, I don't think they set it up well enough in Southpaw, even though I really like that actress. Um, I don't know. I'd probably pick D- Danny Collins if I had to pick a winner because yeah. that was, I mean, obviously, like, the first time he sees him, he's never met him before. So he's obviously, but he's known who his dad was forever. So he's obviously has reason to be upset with him. We don't have any question about the character motivations there. And then throughout the movie, it is just kind of a tug of war. Like, you're really seeing him struggle to let him back in his life, and then he finally does, and then there's disappointment has to go back. You are really seeing, he's really having to, Bobby Cannavale is really having to play a lot of different emotions and going through a lot of different um, stages within that relationship just over the course of what wasn't a long movie. It was probably, I think it was less than two hours, and they really kind of developed that well, I'd say. Yeah, and very underrated movie, which we've talked about several times, but would definitely recommend seeing it. Pacino's really good in it. Cannavale's really good in it. I think you'd still go. You'd still go with Creed, though. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm gonna go that's with fair. Creed. Yeah, right. Adonis. Uh, anyway, so yeah, that's that's about it for our fake categories. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want to stick around, we're gonna just talk about best actor, best actress, and then supporting for both sides, and then uh, call it a mm-hmm. uh, a day. Um, yeah. So best actor, we kind of created our own field. We this wrote, is our consensus for Anthony. And yeah. I, like, we have some differing opinions, but we wanted to have our own our own podcast uh, consensus nominations. Sure. Yeah. So we have uh, Jake Gyllenhaal, Leo, Revenant, uh, Michael B. Jordan, Creed, Michael Fassbender, Steve Jobs, and then Steve Carell in um, Big Short. And yeah, I actually thought that Steve Carell probably definitely gets an Oscar nomination if they tried to get him in there as a supporting actor, but they campaigned him as lead. But I still liked him better than some of the people that got nominated for lead, mainly uh, Brian Cranston and Eddie Redmayne. Absolutely. Um, so I, we were able to cheat and put him in there, even if I think it's such an ensemble. I don't know if anyone could really be considered the lead in that movie. Yeah. Um, I think I would pick Michael B. Jordan for best actor, honestly. No disrespect to Leo. But combination of good movie plus emotion. Uh, I think out, out of those, um, I think Steve Carell is my favorite performance. Uh, but I don't think it deserves to win a Best Actor. I just wanted to recognize him in one of our categories because <laughs> sure. I thought it was a supporting performance. Yeah. Um, uh, if I had to pick a winner there myself, I'd say. I don't know. I'd probably say Jake. Yeah. Uh, no. I mean, I, can't I, go I mean, wrong. I, I, I got a little more out of him than I did out of Michael B. Jordan and. Um, and I'm totally fine with Leo winning too, because he should have an Oscar by now. But um, I'd, if, if you're just giving me those five, I'd probably say Jake. I, I think we should probably watch Southpaw again, just to, yeah. just for the fun. Yeah. Um, so best actress category, we have Brie Larson from Room, Charlize Theron, uh, Mad Max, Emily Blunt, Sicario, Sierra Sharonin from yep, Brooklyn, that one, uh, and Greta Gerwig in Mistress America. Yeah, this uh, we, we didn't see a couple of the movies. I actually saw The Lady in the Van the other day. Maggie Smith was in conversation for that. I didn't feel the need to put her in here, even though I thought she was good. Um, there is, we, we didn't see 45 Years. Charlotte Ramping's nominated. You didn't see Joy. I did. Jennifer Lawrence is nominated. I didn't feel compelled to put her in here. Yeah. It feels like good for her. She's at the point where they'll nominate her for almost anything that's good. <laughs> um, but Was I it even good? I thought you didn't like Joy. I like part the first forty five minutes were atrocious. After sure. that, it was pretty good, and uh, she was fine. But it wasn't like so. It wasn't. I thought she was just a. a she's like a force of nature in uh, something like Silver Linings Playbook, and it wasn't a performance on the level of that. But it, sure. her performance wasn't what made it a problematic movie. Yeah. Um. Out of these five, I'd I, I'm I'd still say Brie Larson, and she's gonna win, so I'd be fine with it. But if someone wanted to make the argument for. Charlize Theron or Emily Blunt, I would not uh, begrudge them. Yeah, I, I think Bree's probably going to win, but also I agree with you. 
that Emily Blunt was really good, and and same with Charlize. She didn't get enough credit for her, her role in Mad Max. It shows that it's a pretty good. It was a pretty good year for women in film. That uh, Charlize Theron Emily lead Blunt women and, in film, yeah, at least. And, and I I think I mean you seemed a little dubious. I thought Daisy Ridley is is the lead of Star Wars and. Three of them really weren't ever in the seriously in like a best actress conversation, even though they all were the leads in pretty big films. So that 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 says something, and it, hopefully there's more years like that going forward. But um, Brie Larson would be my pick here. Yeah. All right. Uh, best supporting actress. We have Alicia Vikander, and I, she's nominated for the um, for the Danish Girl, but a lot of people prefer her in Ex Machina. And then we have Rini Mara from Carol. Tessa Thompson from Creed, Kristen Stewart from The Cloud That Sills Maria, and Jennifer Jason Lee for The Hateful Eight. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know. I liked, uh, I think I've only seen, or I guess I've seen four of these five, but um, I, I, I I don't know. We talked about it on the Carol podcast. Rooney Mara was fine, but I didn't really care that much. Uh, I, I mean, I don't want to have a love affair with Creed, but Tessa was really good, and I don't think she got enough love in that movie. But uh, Jennifer Jason Lee probably had a bigger part in Hateful Eight, too. Um, so I don't know. I mean, no, no, Alicia was really good also. So it's a solid. It, our category is solid, at least, not yes. the real Oscar category. Yes, I, I'd probably still put Alicia Vikander. I guess the, both of those performances are arguably lead, but I would like to recognize her somewhere for being really great last year. But um, I saw all these and liked all of them. And Tessa Thompson's is probably more of a true supporting performance in that a lot of times you can make an argument for a lot of people that get nominated in these categories that it's category fraud and they deserve to be in the lead at category. And um, you could say that for Alicia Vikander or Rooney Mara, and maybe even Jennifer Jason Lee. But um, I, for here, I'd, I'd still just want to recognize Alicia Vikander for either movie because she's really good in both, even if I didn't love The Danish Girl. Yeah, no, and she deserves she deserves that. Mm-hmm. Uh, le- so last real category, just Best Supporting Actor, we have Sly and Creed. Oscar Isaac in Ex Machina, Michael Keaton, Spotlight, Tom Hardy, Revenant, and Jason Mitchell, uh, Straight Outta Compton. And I think I would go with Jason Mitchell, personally. Okay, yeah, I'd say Sly, but I can't, I can't get upset at... Um, I guess I, I, we meant to maybe re- possibly rework this category because you like Christian Bale in The Big Short, but we left him out. But it seems like you're fine with these five, too. Yeah, um, no, no, I'm fine with these five, and I really like. I, 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 th- I would think I would pick Jason Mitchell over everybody, honestly. Anyway, so yeah, I pick, I pick Sly, and then my second would probably be Michael Keaton, and then Jason Mitchell, then Oscar Isaac, uh, then Tom Hardy. As much as I loved Oscar Isaac, I thought, um, yeah, the uh, those other three performances were pr- probably just did it more for me. Um, but yeah, I hope I hope Sly wins. It's gonna be uh, that's the, gonna be my big worry. I'll, I'll I'll jump out of my chair or whatever wherever I'm watching the Oscars on Sunday if he if if he comes through there. Um, I'm really happy for him and hope he pulls it out. Yeah, um, no, I mean I think he should win the real category. But as as for our category, uh, yeah, I, I'm gonna go with Jason you. Mitchell. I got you. I'm fine with it. That was a, that was a really good performance and pretty cool. And hopefully he gets to do some other cool stuff going forward. I know he's with Brie Larson and. Kong Skull Island set for 2017, so hopefully he'll get his money from doing the blockbuster and then can, can do some more character actor work because he's good at that. Yeah, and uh, you know, we're probably both going to just end up live tweeting this Oscar thing, so if you want to you know, comment with us, talk with us, see what we think uh, about the categories we didn't talk about and about all the fraud that the uh, Oscar voters uh, 
uh, did this year. Um, definitely give us a follow on Twitter at a clambake, a k l a m b a k e. And I'm Josh Jernavoy, J o s h j u r n o v o y. And I know Chikachu will be watching uh, at Chikachu, C h e e k a c h o o. And if you want to email us, fifty two in fifty two pot at gmail dot com. And um, hopefully you listen to this and, and you know send us any thoughts and, and comments and we love to hear them and we look forward to uh, another you know ten months this year of of film going so thanks for listening guys. Unfortunately, unf- uh, unfortunately.